This is the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of this podcast that takes a look back at some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. The subject for this episode occurred in June 1995. I remember when it happened, but was shocked by how many of the details I didn't recall until I began researching the story. It bothered me that I didn't remember, but then I realized this horrible crime happened around the same time my mom passed away. So obviously, the death of my mother overshadowed anything in the news. This crime is disturbing. The more I researched it, the more appalled I became. So there's your trigger warning. This is a very disturbing story. The Trees, a remote area in Rosedale, located on Greeley Drive, a mile or so north of Rosedale Highway. It was in the boondocks back in 1995, and surprisingly, 28 years later, it's still in the boondocks. Bakersfield's urban sprawl still hasn't crept that far east. For a generation of high school kids in the 1990s, the Trees was a spot known for teenage partying, a place where kids could go hang out, drink, smoke some weed, escape from the watchful eyes of adults. The Trees is where you really went when you told your parents you were going to a friend's house or the movies. The Trees is also the location where two evil people committed one of Bakersfield's most shocking crimes. This is He Dug His Own Grave. The summer of 1995, 16-year-old Jason Corbin was back in Bakersfield. Jason was born here, lived here his whole life until 1993. Then he moved to Arizona with his family that year. But by June 1995, he was back in Bakersfield. For that approaching school year, Jason was planning on going back to his old school, the school he attended before moving away, Stockdale High. The teenager was busy reconnecting with friends, and through these old friends, he was meeting new ones. On the evening of June 13, 1995, Jason planned a night of partying with four other friends. Three of them were teens. The fourth was older. He was 21. They were 16-year-old Melissa, 16-year-old Heather, 15-year-old Michael Todd, and 21-year-old Robert Santos. Michael Todd and Melissa, they were a couple. They just started dating about two weeks before this. It might seem odd for a 21-year-old to be hanging out with teenagers four or five years younger, but it makes sense for one simple reason. 
he was old enough to buy alcohol for the group. Five youths jumped in Jason Corbin's white 1987 Toyota Tercel and drove to a Rosedale area grocery store. Robert Santos, the only one in the group old enough to legally buy alcohol, purchased a 12-pack of Coors beer and a half gallon of tequila. From there, with Jason Corbin driving, the five went to the trees, a secluded Locations surrounded by fields and farms, a spot popular with teenagers. Five friends just out for a night of fun and partying. While at the trees, the youths passed the time by BSing and drinking. Soon, Michael Todd and Robert Santos began talking about running away to Seattle. Then the conversation turned to how they'd pay for this. They'd hold up a liquor store or a bar. The two discussed this in more detail, expanding on this idea, planning the robbery. Since Jason was the only one who had a car, they said they'd use his car. But Jason said that that, running away and holding up a liquor store, was a stupid idea. As 10 p.m. approached, Jason wanted to get Melissa and Heather home. That was their curfew, 10 p.m. But Robert Santos and Michael Todd talked the girls into staying. By midnight, the five had consumed all of the alcohol. Robert Santos told the group, that he buried a gun out there. They could use that gun for the holdup. At the foot of a cottonwood tree, the three boys began digging. First, they used their hands, but the ground was hard, so Jason got a tire iron from his trunk to loosen the dirt. Robert Santos wandered away from the group for some time. He returned carrying a shovel. He claimed he got it from a field worker. The three males took turns digging with the shovel. While Jason was taking his turn, Robert Santos said, quote, Wouldn't it suck if you were digging your own grave? Unquote. With a slight laugh, Jason replied that, Yeah, 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 that would. When the hole was about three and a half feet deep, Michael asked Melissa to stand in it to gauge how deep it was. Then he told the girls to go sit in the back seat of the car. On their way to the car, Michael Todd asked Melissa what she would do if they bashed Jason's brains in. Melissa told him they shouldn't do that. Jason was their friend. 
with the girls in the car, Robert Santos and Michael Todd began beating Jason, beating him with the tire iron and shovel, struck him multiple times in the head, face, and shoulders. Jason fell into the same hole he'd been digging. They beat him some more. Santos and Todd taunted Jason at the same time they were hitting him. Jason begged his assailants for mercy. Robert Santos told Jason, quote, Smile, Jason. Let me see how many teeth you're missing. Unquote. Jason begged, begged his attackers to take him to a hospital. Either Robert Santos or Michael Todd told Jason to go to sleep. They'd take him to the hospital. Robert Santos jumped into the hole. He knelt on Jason's chest. He told Jason to look him in the eyes. He said, quote, Remember my eyes. The next time you'll see them, you'll be in hell. Unquote. Without checking to see if Jason was dead or alive, Santos and Todd took turns shoveling dirt into Jason's makeshift grave. While this was going on, while Jason Corbin was being beaten to death and buried, Melissa and Heather, the two girls present, huddled in the back seat of Jason's car. Santos and Todd finished shoveling the dirt into Jason's grave. They joined the girls in the car. As the sun was rising and with Robert Santos at the wheel, the four youths drove away in Jason's Toyota. While they drove down the bumpy road to Rosedale Highway, Santos and Todd joked about being able to hear Jason talking from his grave. They dropped Robert Santos off at his house in Oildale. When he got home, he couldn't help but brag. He called at least two friends to tell them about the killing. One of those friends claimed Santos enthusiastically told him how Michael Todd hit Jason a couple of times, but he, Robert Santos, took the shovel and finished him off. According to this friend's account of their conversation, Santos was upset about getting Jason's blood on his favorite Screwdriver t-shirt. Screwdriver was a British punk rock band that had white supremacist symbolisms in their logo. When they took Santos home, Michael Todd and the two girls drove to a field near North High School. There, they abandoned Jason's car. But before leaving it, Michael Todd used a sock to wipe fingerprints off the steering wheel and door handles. That was about 9 a.m. Michael Todd walked home. The two girls, they didn't go home. They wandered the streets of Oildale. They visited the homes of a couple of different friends for several more hours. Their parents finally found them at about 8.30 p.m. that night. When the girls' parents started grilling them about where they've been all night and day, that's when the horrors of the previous 12 to 24 hours began coming to light. Law enforcement was notified and began questioning Melissa and Heather. 
Jason Corbin's body was discovered about 24 hours after he was killed. Discovered in that popular teenage party location in Rosedale. Found buried in a shallow makeshift grave. Melissa and Heather claimed while they sat in the back seat of the car, they could hear Santos and Todd taunting Jason as he pleaded for his life. They saw the shovel swing into the air and crash down several times. They heard moaning, then silence. After getting the girls' version of events, Robert Santos and Michael Todd were arrested. Early on in the investigation, detectives determined Melissa and Heather didn't participate in the crime. The girls claimed they feared for their own safety, and that's why they didn't do more to prevent the vicious beating death of Jason Corbin. Police say they are now investigating this case as a homicide. They say partially buried in what police are calling a shallow grave. Police believe... A grave that he was digging, and uh, we believe uh, it appears to be his grave that he was digging. So that's, uh, that's pretty calculated, pretty cold-hearted. Body was discovered in what he called a makeshift grave. Once the media learned that Jason Corbin, the murder victim, helped dig his own grave... The headlines wrote themselves. In the beginning of this investigation, police believed that there was a possibility that Jason Corbin was buried alive, simply because the boys didn't check his pulse before they started covering him. But the autopsy later discovered that Jason died from a fractured skull, a fractured skull that was caused by being beaten in the head and face. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Robert Lee Santos Jr. and Michael Anthony Todd. Santos was the older one. He was 21. His nickname was Natas, spelled N-A-T-A-S, or Satan spelled backwards. Michael Anthony Todd was just 15 years old. His nickname was Scrappy. He'd been in an automobile accident two years before this. In this accident, he suffered a serious head injury, and one of his best friends was killed. Both Santos and Todd had a long criminal history. Both youths began drinking and using drugs at a young age. And if you're thinking Todd was 15, how young was he when he started drinking and using? Well, according to documents, he was 12 or 13 years old. Both were members of war, White Aryan Resistance, a white supremacist gang in Oildale. When the public learned that the two people accused of killing Jason Corbin were white supremacists, people began to wonder if Jason was himself. But detectives ruled this out. They said there was no reason to believe Jason was a member of any type of white supremacist organizations. Also, since Jason was white, there was no reason to think the killing was a hate crime. 
Having ruled out these factors as motivations for killing Jason, detectives speculated that Jason's murder was simply a thrill killing. Police had no other explanations for why Robert Santos and Michael Todd beat Jason to death. Jason Scott Corbin died a month and a half shy of his 17th birthday. He was the youngest of three children. He was survived by his father, Joseph Corbin, his mother, Sandra Corbin, and his two siblings, Tina and Christopher. Graveside services were held at Greenlawn Cemetery in Northeast Bakersfield. One important matter the Kern County District Attorney needed to settle was how 15-year-old Michael Todd would be prosecuted. Would he be tried as a juvenile or as an adult? The stakes were high for the young suspected killer. If he were to be found guilty in juvenile court, the harshest sentence possible was for him to be incarcerated with the California Youth Authority until he was 25 years old. However, if he was to be prosecuted as an adult and found guilty, he faced a lifetime in prison. A hearing to decide this issue was held six weeks after the crime. The proceedings lasted only 30 minutes. The judge determined that Michael Todd should face these charges as an adult, in adult court. The judge reached this conclusion by looking at Todd's extensive juvenile criminal record and weighing the brutality of the crime the teenager was accused of committing. The judge noted that the slaying of Jason Corbin involved, quote, a startling, sophisticated degree of planning, unquote. All right. Jason Corbin's death occurred June 14, 1995. The trial of the two accused killers started in the beginning of September 1996, over a year after the crime. The two defendants were tried together, but each had their own defense attorney. The prosecution's main witnesses were Melissa and Heather, the two teenage girls who were present when Jason was killed. The other main witnesses for the DA were the two friends Robert Santos called immediately following the murder, the two people Santos called after he got home from killing Jason Corbin, the two friends Santos called to brag about killing Jason. As you can imagine, the testimony and the exhibit of evidence was gruesome and unsettling. At one point, Jason's mother had to flee the courtroom, sobbing uncontrollably. The attorneys for both Robert Santos and Michael Todd defended the accused killers by claiming they suffered from mental or brain impairments. Michael Todd's attorney argued that the teenager suffered from a brain injury, an injury he sustained in an automobile accident a couple of years before the crime. 
And he had a two-year history of being treated by a psychologist before committing this crime. Robert Santos's defense followed the same logic, mental health. He claimed he suffered a brain condition. A battery of tests showed that he exhibited this condition that caused auditory and visual hallucinations. And in order to control these, Santos self-medicated with alcohol and illicit drugs. Throughout the legal proceedings, the two accused killers smirked and rolled their eyes. The trial was expected to last five or six weeks. Closing arguments began the fourth week, and the jury began deliberating that same week. So it didn't take as long as was expected. Once the jury got the case to deliberate, it only took them six hours to reach a guilty verdict for both Robert Santos and Michael Todd. A month after their convictions, Santos and Todd were back in Kern County Superior Court to face sentencing. At this hearing, Jason Corbin's family testified how these two convicted murderers should be given the harshest sentences possible. They reminded the judge that both defendants displayed no remorse during their trial. In fact, they smirked and rolled their eyes throughout the trial. Michael Todd's grandmother wrote a letter to the court pleading for leniency for Todd. She described her grandson's friendship with Robert Santos as diabolical. She said Santos had a Charles Manson-like hold on him since a young age. The judge handed down the stiffest sentences possible for both convicted murderers. For Robert Santos, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. For Michael Todd, since he was a juvenile at the time, Judge Stewart sentenced him to 25 years to life in prison with the recommendation that he never be released. Michael Todd sued the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation in 2018. He claimed to be a member of the creativity religion. He brought legal action because he said the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation didn't do enough to accommodate his religious practices. By the way, this religion is based on the belief that the white race is the superior race. Michael Todd lost that suit. Remember when the judge sentenced Michael Todd to 25 years to life in prison, but recommended he never be released? I just learned that Michael Todd was released. He was paroled in August 2022. Robert Santos is still incarcerated, serving his life without parole sentence. Resources used for this story, the Bakersfield Californian, caselaw.com, the LA Times, and findagrave.com. This is Robert Peterson. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, with another Notorious Bakersfield story. Until then, stay safe.
stay out of trouble, don't become a future episode of the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'll see you back here next week.